you know, I don't know your life, but I know my life has been uh, speckled with stupid decisions. Um, you don't really think at the time they seem like cool things, right? So it's the right thing to do. Uh, it, when I was five years old, started very young for me. I was, I was five years old and I was, I'd gone to church my whole life. And, and when I was at church, what they did is they gave these Sunday school papers. So I had a whole box of Sunday school papers at five. But I'm going downstairs in my basement. I'm going to uh, you know, play office. And so my mom helped me carry the papers downstairs. And in, in our, house, our, our basement, we had this uh, big oil thing. You know, you know, your furnace ran off of oil. I don't know if some of you guys remember this. And so as they'd fill it from the outside, this huge oil tank. And it stood up on four legs. So I, I sat down. It's my office. And I put all my papers underneath the oil tank and blah, 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 blah. And then I pulled my father's lighter out of my pocket that I, I, I accidentally picked up. And I lit the papers. I don't know if I, you know, Freudian, I hated Sunday school or what. I don't know. But they were, they were all going up. And I'm just kind of sitting there watching these flames look around this big oil tank. Doo, 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 doo. And my mom must have smelled something. So my mom came running downstairs. And there I am watching these flames. And my mom starts screaming. And she grabs me and yanks me. She's like flinging me around. I don't know if she's, what she's thinking. but she, And she's got a towel. And she's trying to knock these papers out. And so... Flaming papers are all over the basement. I'm going, Mom, chill out. You know, you're going to burn the house down. And so this is going all over the place. And it, it's all done. She said, what were you thinking? And I, I just thought it would be cool. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know. Fast forward just a few years. I'm eight. I'm eight. I, re, I remember this. This was the Evil Knievel era. Some of you older people. Evil Knievel, you younger guys, was someone who rode a motorcycle and like jumped ramps. You know, jumped like 30 garbage trucks and stuff. And it was really kind of cool. So we're going to be evil Knievel. We did this all the time. We rode bikes. I was in Chicago, a lot of my friends. And uh, we, were, we were really going to go all out because they just paved the um, alleys. And it mostly was a flat area. But there was this one place where it was like a dead man's hill, you know. And we thought it'd be so cool. It was just paved. It'd be great to ride our bikes down. At the bottom, I wonder if we could put a, a, a ramp and so, and so then we, we weren't sure where to put the landing ramp, uh, so we, we kind of guessed. But then we thought this would be really cool if we took off one right after the other. So there was like seven of us. And you know, none of this wearing helmet stuff. You know, we had no shirts on, we had our shorts on, and we just took, we would just take off and we would hit this ramp. It's going to look cool. So I was first. And then these guys were all behind me. You guys ready? Yeah, we're ready. Okay, and we had the big, big handlebars and the banana seat, and we're ready. So we, I took off. I'm standing up. I'm going, and I'm starting down this hill, and then I'm realizing a couple of things. I'm realizing, you know, I don't know how fast you have to go to hit that landing ramp, but I certainly don't want to miss it. So I, I, I'm, I'm, that could be bad. So I'm standing up, pedaling all the faster. And then I'm thinking, if I do miss it and I wipe out, how's it going to feel if all these guys behind me crash into me? That's not a good thing either. So I get going even faster. So I'm going on my bike as fast as you can go, and I'm shooting down the hill, and the wind's blowing on my hair. I must have been going 50 miles an hour. I don't know. And I can't tell you how much air I got when I hit that ramp. But I'll tell you this. I was looking at the, the top of houses in the garage. I was passing birds. You know, I'm, I'm driving, I'm past my landing ramp. It's like, whoa, baby, that's, I must have, I don't know, 20 yards past the landing ramp. But I, but I, I stayed up. I made it. Dennis, right behind me. 
Dennis, Dennis was, he, you know, cause he, he's taken off too. And when I'd go faster, he tried to go faster. But he saw that I was way going to miss the landing ramp. So he tried to slam on his brakes just before he hit the, the takeoff ramp. But he's going at like 35 miles an hour. So he hits his brakes and kind of goes off the ramp sideways and flips him through the air like one of these guys on motocross. But this was not meant to happen. And he hits the landing ramp kind of, and all the guys behind him are like, ah, you know, abort. So they're kind of swerving and, and no one else got, got hurt, but Dennis got pretty hurt. And we all got together afterwards and we looked and he was moaning and his body wasn't supposed to turn this way. And I went and got his mom. She came and she looked at him and she looked, she said, what were you guys doing? So I, we explained to her, oh, it's the ramps and blah, blah, blah. And what were you thinking? What were we thinking, guys? Well, it's not going to be cool. You know, it's like, so many decisions seem cool at the time, right? Now, some of the decisions we have to wear are not real funny. Um, I'm guessing that if we stood and we talked, we would have scars. We would know things that we shouldn't have gone to that party. We knew we shouldn't have gone to that party. We shouldn't have had that drink. Oh, for crying. What were we thinking? We shouldn't, we shouldn't have had a second one. And then, then the rest is history. Or, or, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have invested there. Or I shouldn't have gotten that job. I should have taken that job. Or I should have majored in this in school. Or I should have never have said, I do to him. Or I should have never tried to text her. Or I should have never invested in this thing. And, and we've got all kinds of stories like this. Some of them uh, come with incredible scars. Some come with shackles that don't go away very quickly. I'm guessing that some of us here may still be pain one way or another. And some decisions, stupid decisions, seemed wise at the time. I, I shopped too much. You know, I worked too, too much. I, I, I drank too much. I smoked too much. I, 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 I. And we've got scars. And the issue is sometimes it hurts. Quite often it hurts the people we love most. And there's no mulligan. You can't go back. Bad decisions explode on us. And it gets all over people. And sometimes our life can be converted from thriving to surviving, right? From really living to coping. And we, we just, we just, from, from, from joy to regret because we live in the shadows of some of these stupid things that we have. And we get, wouldn't it be nice? Don't you, you're going through some complex decision. And it's coming at you fast. And you know you're at the, 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 the crossroads. And whatever you decide here, man, it's going to have massive repercussions. And you're thinking if you make a wrong call, you're either going to lose out or you're, you're going to mess up. You know, something bad's going to happen. And all these people are talking to you, telling you what you need to do. But they're conflicting advice. And you've got to make the call now. And you just know it's going to be a big issue. What do you do? Wouldn't it be nice to have a life coach? who was solid, who was credible, who could navigate this stuff with us. You know what I'm going to say right here, right? We do. We do. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 1. I'm so encouraged about this series that we're starting. I've been wanting to do this kind of a thing for years, but never exactly sure how to, to go about it. But Proverbs is our life coach. Let's, let's look at the, the very beginning. First verse. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And this is why he wrote the whole book of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, or it's prudence, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Notice, notice our, our, our author is, is Solomon. 
Now, y- y'all remember back, by the way, easy way to, there are three kings in all of United Israel. There were, there were three major kings, right? When all the nation was together. There was Saul, and there was David, and there was Solomon. First Samuel deals with Saul. Second Samuel deals with David. First Kings, the first part of it, deals with Solomon, right? So Solomon comes on the throne. All oh, huge nation. Solomon's on the throne. He's worshiping God. And then it's a major, God comes to him and says, ask whatever you want. You know, it's kind of like the genie and the thing. Not three wishes, though. You only get one of them. And so this is what Solomon says. This is, listen, listen to this. At, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon says, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child. Now he's like 20-something. He's not a little. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? You ever have an issue like that? It's huge. It's too big for you. This was Solomon's looking at this going, I can't do this. This is too... How can... Not only am I the, the king... <laughs> But all these people are God's people. And if I mess up, these guys get hurt. So when God says, name one thing, Solomon didn't even hesitate. He didn't start, yeah, you know, I could use maybe a new chariot. I, you know, he just, he just, he just, I need wisdom here. I need to know what, how to figure this out. And so God says, verse 10, it says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And then verse 12 is God says, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you have been before you and none like you shall arise after you. The wisest man in the world. Do you understand this? Proverbs 1. Wisest man in the world. Never anyone wiser before. Never will there be anyone wise after. The wisest man in the world says, I want to mentor you. I want to be your life coach. I want to help you understand wisdom. The guy that understood wisdom, according to God, more than anyone in the world, wants to mentor us. Now, if you want to learn how to throw the football, you go hang out with Aaron Rodgers, right? You want to to learn how to make money, you hang out with Warren Buffett. You want to learn how to write songs about your ex, you hang out with Taylor Swift. But you want to learn wisdom. You hang out with Solomon. Solomon had a black belt. He was a master of life. This is the guy. He, he, it says, scripture says, wants to mentor us. God uses this guy. I think God gave him the wisdom he gave him to mentor us. Precursor to this whole book. And then, then it go, goes through these next verses and you ask yourself when you look at it, okay, wisdom, it's got several words here though. Are these words um, like all synonyms for wisdom? By the way, what is Wisdom. Wisdom is like this bright light. And what Solomon does is he puts a prism in 
front of the light. So it deflects all of the different constituent parts of wisdom. So all these words have different nuances, but there's a lot of overlap. Just to show you, the, the word verse 2, it says to understand words of insight. Insight means this. Insight means to look at an issue and see it for what it really is, to see reality. You ever look at a problem sometimes and it's just too complex and it's foggy and it's, it's, you're not sure, it's too ambiguous. Wisdom is to be able to see it for what it really is. Don't oversee it, see something that's not there and freak out. Don't undersee it and not give it the time and attention, but to understand exactly what the issue is. Solomon says, I'm going to help you do that. And then the next line to receive instruction in wise dealing or prudence that, that prudence is so so the insight is to diagnose the issue correctly according to reality prudence is to prescribe according to reality so I, I figured out what the real issue is and I know exactly what needs to happen here I know the timing I know who needs to be contacted I know what we need to do when we need to do it where we need to do it what exactly how much energy he says, I'm going to help you. This, is, this, this uh, wisdom is skill and living. It's the same word that they use for um, the guys that worked on the, the temple that they, they brought in who were skilled in carving of metal and of wood. It, it's a skill. It's, it's, it's an understanding. It's, it's having this black belt in life. It's an expertise in living. It's the number one life, life coach. The word wisdom in, in Hebrew is, uh, I love this word, it's hakma. It's H-O-K-M-A. But it's not hakma. Very guttural. Hakma. You know, it's not like you're clearing your throat. Hakma. And the way to remember why this is, is very, I like, love this, because that's exactly what wisdom is. Wisdom is clearing out all of this stuff that, that gets in the way, that impedes. It's, it's clearing out the, the, the fog. It's letting the clouds move, move on. It's letting all of the things, the obstacles that would keep you from seeing and understanding correctly, getting them out of the way. And Solomon says, I'm going to help you get there. The reason why I'm writing this is so that you can be wise. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's, wow, what a, what, a, what, a, what a pretty cool thing with that. Now, one of the, helping to understand what wisdom is, I think something that helps us, is understanding what it's not. It's opposite. It's opposite in the book of Proverbs. It's opposite in Scripture. is referred to as foolishness, right? Now, uh, uh, foolishness. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of different things, and we're going to connect the dots in a minute. So kind of just stay with me and hold this down, okay? Because what, what foolishness is versus what wisdom is in Scripture is understanding this i think we've got what's the next text am i on it Twelve fifteen. yeah the way of a fool is right in his own eyes this is the way of a fool is right in his own eyes okay in scripture we're going to get into this over these next few weeks wisdom is recognizing i don't have the answers and and i don't know uh fool says Give me your counsel. But bottom line is, I will determine whether or not I live this out. If this is to my advantage and benefit, 
maybe I will, maybe I'll need to tweak it. But, but, but the, the wise person says, is, this is this paradox, isn't it? The fool thinks he's wise. The wise person realizes, I don't have a clue what's going on. So wise says, I, I, I don't know. Now why this is, this is not a personality thing, right? This is not just those arrogant, you know, strong D-type people and a steamroller people. No, 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 it's much bigger than this. In a keystone passage of scripture, Genesis chapter 3, you know this, is a keystone passage of scripture, we go back to it all the time. But you know what happens in Genesis 3. Up to that point, God had created us, everything was, was, was fine, we were perfect, we had a, a, a great relationship with God, I was never there, but I'm told it was, it, was, it was a good thing, God says it was good. But then in chapter 3, the serpent comes to Eve. They're, they're staring down the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent says, yeah, Eve, why don't you... Look at the fruit here. This looks pretty good. Why don't, you, why don't you take this? And Eve says, oh, no, 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 no. God said that we can't come near this tree or we will die. And the, the serpent says, you shall not surely die. Uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be just like God. This is God fruit. You will know good and evil. In other words, you, the wisdom will be in you. And so what does he say? It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, I don't need someone else to tell me what to do. She took it. She went. And this is, this is spiritual DNA. This is, is, is who we are. Now, in 14, 12, Proverbs There is a way that seems right to man. But the end is the way of death. Satan said, you won't surely die. God said, no, 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 no. If you go your own way, you got your own wisdom. Yeah, that's where it leads. Destruction is one of those stupid decisions. It leads leads to death. Um, Got some problems with this wisdom foolish thing. Oh, first problem with, with it is according to Proverbs 22, verse 15, it says, it says, folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child. Just stare that down for a minute. What are the ramifications? That, that children are born with this foolishness, with this desire to be wise in their own eyes. Me, my, mine. You don't teach your kids that, right? They just somehow know it. Where they got this? I don't know. Me, my, mine. As adults, we don't say it as crassly. We've learned how to manipulate the words and change stuff around and maybe throw the guard card into it once in a while. But ultimately, often, it is still me, my, mine, my kingdom. I'm in charge. I'm what it's all about. This is our issue. This is not someone else's issue. This is your issue. Nobody is nobody is born wise. Everybody is born wise in their own eyes. Right? You got, got that? This, this, is, this is us. We got to get this out. It lets us know that unless there's intention, this doesn't just go away. You don't get this fixed by a PhD. We award 55,000 PhDs annually in the U.S. And yet at the same time we house one quarter of the world's prisoners at the U.S. Just, just having that does not fix things. It doesn't make things better. And I'm not dissing education. I love it. If God gave me enough money, I'd still be in school. I, lo- I love it. But that's not, that's not the deal. There's another issue with, with, with this wisdom foolish thing though. And this is that we desperately need this. Now, now follow me. Don't take me out of context here or I'll be pronounced a heretic. So stay with me, okay? The Bible has lots of commands, precepts, we call them, right? 
the commands, precepts in scripture, it's been estimated by someone like Tim Keller even, cover about 20, 25% of life. Well, that's great. You, always, you never negotiate it. You always stay to it, true to it. You, you keep your life underneath the precepts of God. Got it, got it, got it. But what do you do with that other 75%, 80% of stuff that happens to you where there's no simple verse that deals with it? Let me give you an example. In 1 Kings 3, right? Solomon just prays for wisdom and God says, okay, I'll give it to you. Very next thing, two prostitutes show up on Solomon's front porch and they got two babies, a dead baby and a live baby. And prostitute one says, the live baby is mine, the dead baby is hers. And prostitute B says, no, 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 the live baby is mine and the dead baby is hers. Solomon, you figured this out. Well, there's no witnesses. There's no DNA testing type stuff. You try to look at the parents, they all kind of look the same. I don't know what to do with that one. So what do you do? It's a she said, she said, and both of them have the same credible reputation. It's like, what? how do you decide this? This is a crazy sort of thing. There's no verse that says when two prostitutes come to you with a baby and they have a question about it, this is what you should do. There's no verse that says that. But Solomon, God, he just gives God's wisdom. And so he looks around the corner of the situation, the circumstances, and he discerns. And Solomon is able to render an incredibly wise judgment that covers that. If you don't know, go ahead and read 1 Kings 3. You'll, you'll figure that out if you haven't already. There are situations in life that there's no verse that says do this, right? But there are biblical principles, Bible covers everything. Bible covers everything. Make sure you understand what I'm saying. Precepts cover 25%. The principles of Scripture cover the 80%. Scripture is all sufficient. It's what we need. But we often forget this principle thing. And Solomon says, I'm going to go over some key principles with you. That if you get these down, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom stuff. Now, let me just point out a couple things real quick. His purpose here. And verse 4, it says that he's doing this in order to give prudence to the simple. In the book of Proverbs, you've got really three main characters in Proverbs. We're going to assume actually that God is the main main character, but let's forget that for a second. There's three, three characters in Proverbs. You've got uh, the fool on one side. You've got the wise person on the other side. The fool is one who says, I can do it myself. I can figure it out. Maybe I'll listen to you. Maybe I won't. The wise person is one that says, I need God's perspective on this. But then there's a group in the middle in the book of Proverbs called the simple, the simpleton. And the the simple is not, is simply ignorant. Okay, it's not an issue of, of intelligence. They're simply ignorant. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And the ramifications are still intense. There still be consequences. Even though the simple is not done anything evil per se, they mean right perhaps, but, but the consequences will be in, intense. And so he says, I, my job is to take the simple, those who are ignorant. He's referring to this as youth. We've all been young. We all remember when we knew how the world was supposed to work and we just couldn't figure out these stupid older generation. Why couldn't they just see this? It's clear as the nose in your face. Then we grew and got banged around a little bit and realized it wasn't so simple. So he's looking at the simpleton. He's talking to his son, actually. Someone who's just not well-versed in life yet. And he's saying, you're 
don't understand, but uh, I'm going to share with you the way of wisdom. Listen, there's no sin in being ignorant, but it's dangerous. There's no sin in being ignorant, but there's sin in staying ignorant. And so he's going to go through the simple folk, people who don't understand, which is all of us in some places, right? He's going to reveal some things, and then he's going to take all of us to the crossroads. And during this series, we're going to choose. We're going to choose, yeah, that's a principle that I'm not applying to my life. Okay, that's, that's Scripture's going to say, foolish, foolish. Or we'll say, yeah, that's, that's a principle that I'm going to run my life by. Yeah, wise, wise. And so the, the cool thing as I look at this is uh, throughout this series, uh, and we're going to look at a handful of the principles, not, not all of them, but all of us are going to be coming to a crossroads where we decide, foolish or wise. One, one other thing right at the beginning here, it says that he's giving, uh, receive instructions, verse 3, uh, re- instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now that, that line is actually a real, real key line. Because righteousness, justice, equity, those are actually character words. You've got to get what Solomon is not saying. I just want to help you make wise decisions. Solomon is saying wise people make wise decisions. I'm after transformation. I'm after your, you keep putting biblical principles in. You keep soaking on these things. You keep living these things out in, in different scenarios. And you know what happens? Internally, who you become, you become right the things you do are right. You become, when you face those situations, you'll know what to do and you'll understand better what to do and, and where to go. I'm after character transformation. Someone says his book, these biblical principles, wants to change us, change, change our life. He says, so we're going to be looking next few weeks, different, different biblical principles that will cover different scenarios in our life. But before we get there, Solomon says, yeah, 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 it's going to be good. It's going to be really, really good. But, but there's a prereq. If you want wisdom, I'm going to give it out to you. But there's a prereq. And prereq is, is verse 7. It's the door to wisdom. It may be locked for you, but if it's locked, just forget it because wisdom's not coming your way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. For that's kind of a paradoxical sort of deal here. Fear. I thought perfect love casts out fear. I thought he has not given me the spirit of fear. And I thought that the command all over the place, one of the number one commands in scripture is fear not. What is this, the fear of the Lord? Besides, what does that exactly mean? That's a, what's, that, what's that look like in my, my, my life? That's, you need to know that's a theme throughout all of Proverbs. Starts here, verse seven, fear of the Lord ends chapter 30, one of the last two verses in the whole book of Proverbs, the woman who fears the Lord will be, will be praised. And between the two, 14 to 15 times, according to your translation, the fear of the Lord is brought up. Very positive thing. It's a, it's a, it's a key element. And it's not just Proverbs. It's all of Scripture, we'll, we'll see. It's everywhere. It, it, it's, Solomon says, until you get this fear of the Lord thing down, you might as well forget Forget the, the concept of, of, of wisdom. Now, lots of commentators all over the place on what this, what this means, it looks. I don't think it's as com- complex. There are, um, there are there, there's two rails of what this can mean. Martin Luther points out. 
He says, first of all, there is a bad fear of the Lord. Bad fear of the Lord would be like maybe bad fear of like a bad dad. Maybe you had an alcoholic father growing up and you just, it, it was scary. You had no clue what he was going to do. You had no clue what was going to happen. It was just, he's going to hurt you. It, you had a fear. That's a fear. Fear of an executioner. That's, that's a bad fear. A lot of Christians even live their lives with that kind of fear of God and it ought not, not to be. But that, that's real one. Uh, bad fear. Then there's a good fear though. And that is really a, a, a deep Reverence. It is a fear, not so much I'm afraid of what the person will do to me, as much as I'm afraid of disappointing the person. When I was a, a little boy, I, my, I loved my father so much, I respected him so deeply, not a perfect man, but I respected him so much, that if I messed up, would my dad spank me? Yes, he would spank me. Wore out lots of belts in my house. But my dad knew, and I knew, that much worse than any physical spanking would be the emotional thing, the thought that I disappointed my dad. That would crush me. This good fear is a fear. I love you so much and I respect you so much and I recognize who you are that I, I want to please you. I want, it, it, fear of God is a natural response when we see who God is. In, in Job 42, you know, you know this, Job goes through some hard times in the book of Job. He says a lot of stuff against God because God's kind of quiet. That's not real good. But then he, he comes to, to probably uh, 39 maybe. God start, shows up and God starts showing himself to Job in major, major, major ways. And then in Job 42, Job, after God shows, God, Job sees God. Job says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In, in Isaiah 6, another one of those keystone chapters in, in the Bible, Isaiah says, and he's, keep in mind, Isaiah's, Job, by the way, was the most righteous man in the world. He knew all about God. He had a great relationship with God. Isaiah, a prophet from God. If Isaiah doesn't have a good relationship with God, the rest of us have no hope, right? But Isaiah 6, Isaiah says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I mean, it's mad. You get this picture? And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Fear of God is when you see God for who he is. You recognize who God is. You can't help, you see him as the Lord of hosts, you can't help but say, that's what you say. In John 1, let me just throw, and we could show you a bunch of other things, but I just think this is so cool. Actually, in Revelation 1, John was one of Jesus, who's the inner circle of Jesus, in the inner circle three. He was considered Jesus' best friend. John uh, was, was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. 
John was at the foot of the cross. Remember this? When, when Jesus from the cross talks to John and says, Hey, John, will you take care of my mom? G- John is one of the first guys at the tomb, the resurrection. Uh, John knows Jesus probably as well as any mortal person could possibly know Jesus. But on his turf, right? But then in Revelation, John goes to Jesus' turf. He's in heaven in verse one, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And then look what he sees. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, a glowing. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John knows Jesus better than anybody, but when John really saw Jesus, I mean, Jesus was kind of disguised, right? He was cloaked. He was clothed in mortal flesh when he was here. But when John really saw who he was and who he was dealing with, he was down. And what, what this is, what the fear of, fear of God is, is it's, it's worship. It's seeing God for who he is. Because when we see him for who he is, we see us for who we are. Ecclesiastes 5, this is so amazing because Solomon is, is going through this, uh, talking to us about you can't come into the presence of God in a cavalier, nonchalant sort of manner. You just can't. Look what he says. He says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. They're coming to the house of God to sacrifice, and according to God, it's evil. It's foolish. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Says when you come into worship, you better make sure you understand who your God is much as bunch as you can. And you got to be fighting the mind drift and fighting that I'm going to check the scores and find the, uh, fight the I'm going to get on social media and I'm going to pass the note. And I'm gonna, you got to fight that stuff because you say, oh God, as much as I can, would you help me to be in your presence to see you? So then I see me. And my counsel and my wisdom and all the counsel and wisdom of everybody else, man, that's going to be underneath you what I want is I want to, to please you. Did you see what Solomon's saying in Proverbs 1? The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Until you get to a place where God's perspective and who he is, is trumps everything else and everyone else's counsel and my own counsel, until you get to that place, there's no wisdom. There's no wisdom. There's no wisdom. Now, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? But... Uh, The beginning of the fear of the Lord is salvation. Let me tell you what I mean. Because some folk may be here going, you know what, I've got a fear of the Lord, right? But it's kind of like that first kind because, you know, he's God. I understand this. And I've messed up. I got that down. And one day I'll stand before him and uh, I don't know exactly. I'm trying to do it right right now, but I'm just not sure how that's really, it scares me to death. 
According to scripture, when God made uh, mankind, we were perfect, uh, short-lived. Genesis 3, we talked about that. Man wanted to be wise in his own eyes. I don't need God. I'm the one in charge. That's it's what he wanted. Um, from that point on, everyone born, you and I born, it's in our DNA. I'm in charge, me, my mind. I don't need anything else. Uh, According to, we don't talk about this doctrine a lot, but it's the doctrine of the wrath of God. So, see, when, when, when you disobey God's commands, when you disobey what he said, when you have this I don't need you God thing going on inside you, there is wrath from God, anger. Now, before you jump on this God shouldn't be angry thing, uh, we know we don't want to live in a world that does not have justice. Wouldn't a world with no justice be crazy? Talk about anarchy. That would be, we want justice. Justice is right. Now, we don't want it for us. We want mercy for us, but we want justice for others. But we know you've got to have justice. Well, that that's, comes from God. That's right. And we know we've blown it. And so there is anger of God, wrath of God on unrighteousness. We, we know this. That's why maybe we're afraid to stand before him one day. But he wanted that relationship with us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, eternal God. And this is so crazy, y'all. I don't understand this. I'm convinced that the tales of crucifixion, uh, they're not mythology, that historical truths of, of crucifixion in scripture. That's like a scratch on the surface of, of Neptune. You know, the, what really happened on that cross what really was going on? My sin, all of it, all of the stuff that I did and you did that brought about the anger and the wrath of God was put on Jesus. And so God's anger and wrath poured out on Jesus while he's on the cross. Not because Jesus did anything stupid. It was because of my sin that Jesus was getting anger that should be directed towards me. God's wrath is being poured out on Jesus, which is why Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, he didn't do that for his well-being. He knew what was going on. He did that for us so that we would know that, right, there's no reason. Jesus, he was being forsaken by the Father because of me. And then three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, wasn't on the cross anymore, proof that he is the Son of God, proof that his payment for my sin appeased the wrath of God. And on that cross, which Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It was taken care of. And if, in fact, you have trusted in Christ, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you come to the, the foot of, of that cross and you've, in repentance, you've given your life to him, then what happens is all of your sin, I mean, it's been paid for, it's gone, and you don't have to worry that God's going to hit me for it one day. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. He goes on and he says, well, who, who can separate us from the love of God? I love the way Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? For crying out loud, it's God who justifies God. Who can condemn? It's Christ Jesus who, who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. You know, how can this possibly go wrong? If you know him, if you're in him, there's no condom. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be on that first rail. God's wrath is gone. But if you're not, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, maybe you grew up in the church, young guys, maybe you grew up here, it just has never hit you before, 
You can't ride your parents' coattails into heaven, right? At some point you say, God, me, thank you for dying for me. I surrender my life to you. And maybe this morning is your morning. If you've never come to that place, will there be some help in the book of Proverbs for you? Yeah, there, there's some help. It will never be what it's supposed to be, what it could be, what it's meant to be. So let me just ask straight up, before we get into this whole study for the next few weeks, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Uh, there's nothing more than he wants. Would you let me pray with you now? Lord, thank you. My goodness, God, while we were sinners, when we didn't even understand that we were at enmity with you, when we didn't understand the fact of your wrath towards us, you sent Jesus to die in our behalf, in my behalf. I don't know how you say thank you for that, God. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that we would live in the fear of you in a healthy, right fear of you until now and the time we see you face to face that when we get there, we've lived our lives for that day. We've tried to grab on to wisdom through your word and precept and principle that we would be wise, not for our comfort's sake because some of the things you're gonna call us to do, some of the wise things to do are things that will cost us. But may we live, God, may I live, may we as a body, may we as a church live in your wisdom, claiming you, Lord Jesus, as our wisdom, that you would be glorified. I would ask that that would be so. And Lord, as, as we take up this offering now too, would you please use it to get the, the message out of your cross to eerie to this world where so much is chasing after a, a empty worldly wisdom that leads to death. Oh God, would you open eyes and use the dollars we give to have eternal dividends. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.